0: That's recording. Welcome to Luke's Talk Wine. Yeah, funny oath. (laughs) Welcome to Luke's Talk Wine. My name is Luke Morris. I work for a big wine company.
1: And I'm Luke Campbell, and I work for a small wine company. And
0: today we're going to talk about reviews, uh, wine. We're going to have a question from the audience. Um, And first of all, we're going to just ask I'm going to ask Campbell, what's been happening in your wine week, this world? Well, week what well, what's been happening, Luke? <laughs> uh,
1: well, it's all, it's all happening for you this week, Luke. Obviously, oh,
0: man. Um, I'll tell you in a moment.
1: Well, th- this week, this week, my eyes were raised, both eyebrows this week, uh, because I read, I read an article actually that fine wines has outperformed all other luxury goods, from expensive cars through to watches as an investment prospect over the past year. And I was floored. As I thought, investing in wine was dead and buried. Luke?
0: Why would you invest in wine? Because you don't like drinking wine. That's number one. Um, You have bought all the cars and houses that you want and you need something else to waste your money on. Uh, That's number two. But what kind of wine, like what would you invest? This has just got to be... You know, high end Bordeaux people buying stuff before they even drink it. They're never going to actually drink it. Is that the mindset? What kind of stuff are they investing in?
1: Well, all the bees, yeah. You're right. Bordeaux, Barolo, Burgundy, like, it, it, It's an it's an actual fact that was a uh, Barossa would be a good one as well. Like it was uh, the latest night Frank's luxury investment index, and it was quoted. That the fine wine index rose in value by thirteen percent. The next closest, the next nearest challenger was luxury watches up five percent, followed That's by cars at in, four. In, how, so, who's why
0: investing in watches?
1: There is a subculture of people who collect watches. Don't worry about that. Like well, people I, who I've collect Don't worry and about
0: and apparently,
1: that. Like, like people who <laughs> and obviously, like people who collect wine. And I thought this was dead and buried because my seller. Is about wines I want to share. It's about wines I want to enjoy. It's about wines I want to watch grow. Wine's obviously a living, breathing thing. But these guys are obviously celebrating wine as a commodity. Is this right or wrong, Luke Morris?
0: Well, mate, there's a few things that pop into the brain there. I do know that in uh, some cultures, I'm going to just go with China as, as the example, because that's where I was told about it, that wine is an icon item and people do buy it as gifts but they don't it's not uh, as much of a drinking culture so it is an image and that's why people still also export to china with cork in their bottles because it's about the image they're not worried about the uh, longevity and and safety of the wines and they're not using a screw cap it's about the look of the thing so it's the look of having that cool item I, I do get a lot of questions from people about s- wines to cellar. Uh, most of those questions are all about people wanting to have something for themselves to drink. It's been a while since I've really been asked questions mm. about investing in wine. I mean, do, do you get asked that question much? Do people Are people in your real house still asking about, that's it, first growth Bordeaux, which I assume they're buying that investing market so you they're speculating on the quality of the 2022 vintage and they're going to start buying that on Premier. So the vineyard and winery has some financial security. The bottles are already sh- sold at a low rate and therefore that flows on to uh, being able to invest in it for on release in which point that your $50 investment might become a $200 wine. Is that how the process is supposed to work? That is exactly how
1: how the process is.
0: Well, you've shed
1: some light on it there. I I think it's that whole thing about being a commodity. Uh, Your question there, to go back to it, are people in my day job asking about investment wines? They're not anymore. They were a decade ago when the business started, but it's really come around tenfold People are more than likely nowadays in my circles to invest in whiskeys or something over wine. Whiskey Those is an blue investment? chip halcyon days, whiskey is also an investment. Yes. I mean, fine, fine you... wine is still increased. You know, No, but they're rare. That brown liquid is rare. Okay. So, um, yeah, particularly in, in regions outside of Scotland. I mean, the Scottish whiskies are not as rare as what you think, but the likes of Japan here in Australia. Uh, and even the Americas as well, are producing more and more single bottlings, rare whiskies. yeah, that rare whiskies and Hermes handbags. they are uh, investment opportunities. But are they investing in wine? Why are they investing in wine? It's a good question. I, I thought the house in days were dead and buried, but uh,
0: Vis- investing Ooh, in whiskey. Maybe they're back. they obviously are of, back
1: because they're rising.
0: I was trying to think of how investing in whiskey might actually pay off, but then you said they become scarce. So this, so, so the analogy would be going out to um, uh, let's just call the the Grand Hotel and having a few beers from the tap, and that's costing you let's say ten bucks a a pint for your beer, and then you mosey on out of mm-hmm. the. Out of the uh, you get told as Knock-off time, closer, out you get. And as you're walking down the street, you see a late-night cafe or restaurant still open and they've got the beer there, but it's um $20 in a stubby and you think, well, I'll still have another one. There's a $10 difference in that, but because of scarcity, you're paying more money. You still want a beer, you still want that specific beer, you still want that specific drink, so you, you're paying the extra dosh. Is that where that speculation comes from?
1: That speculation comes from that and also the fact that people want the rarity of it so the rarity in whiskey although it gets drunk and so in to use your beer and beer analogy the more you drink the scarcer it gets yeah whiskey also is of a sense of place so whereas beer can be reflect you know they're not using the same natural resources most of the time that a whiskey would be whether it be natural organic malted barley from the farm or the beautiful, fresh waters of Crater Mountain in Tasmania or wherever wherever it be. It is that sense of place that people are investing in as a whiskey collector.
0: It's just, uh, in in a sense, the same sort of thing as what we invest in with wine. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit au. Go there. See the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's LukeMorrisHa.com.au. com. acomau Have a great day. And and that leads back to the question of before. I get often get questions about selling wines because there are people at home drinking through their cellar but also looking... Mm at their salon and thinking, I've got a few holes there, I'd like to invest in the future, I'm going to be here for a while, maybe in the next 50 years, what can I put in there? What's going to be good in another 50 years? And I just, you know, I sell stuff and tell them, no, it'll be good in five, have a look in five years.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's such a personal preference. What you think is going to be five years, you know, might be very different for the next person.
0: I do Wine's a subjective about thing. This the, the the big thing is uh, what what's the odd saying? Of aging wine is that uh, real change with age. Does not necessarily get better yeah. because people who want big ballsy, over the top, heavy as Shiraz, who cellar it for a few years, then find that some of those over the top phenolics have softened down and they're not enjoying it enough. You know, not every customer likes aged wine. That's why I do usually say five years if it's if it's a decent wine have a look at fi- in five years' time because you might find that you either like it less because it has changed and you're not used to age cha- uh, aged wines or you might find that it's actually drinking perfectly and you want to drink it all or you might think this actually still has time and you leave it for another five. I, I always think five years is a... For any decent wine, five years is a good testing period for one bottle out of your six-pack or a dozen at least.
1: And so what about then Yeah, reviewers? Should you follow a reviewer?
0: Reviewers? Um, yes and no. You, you definitely can. Reviewers have a big say in the wine world. You know that. Um, I would say that yep. if somebody, some people really do like the reviews that are given by certain reviewers and they follow them to the T and they can't be swayed, yay or nay, on that, um, but then there's others that just follow any number that comes along, and it's a bit hard to explain where that number originates from, because the numbers come from all kinds of things. How do you feel feel about reviewers, in your side of the, the book, Luke Campbell?
1: Oh, look, reviewers. What well, reviewers? Reviewers are fraught with danger. I, I think, for me, if I'm looking and and I consider us as consumers, as a consumer. I want my tasting notes to be both entertaining and informative, Luke Morris, but they're not always going to appeal to the masses. You know, you, you see all the random tasting notes, you know, laden with mocha, dense characters, perfect for cellaring, you know, acidity stabilized by a citrus, blah, 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 25% oak. Like that, They. I, I think these kind of reviews, there's a time and a place for them, um, but they kind of put me to sleep. I want a concise review. I want it to be informative. You know, there's a little bit of entertainment. In fact, I'm fantastic. I think you have to find a reviewer that you enjoyed to to reading or or you can relate to and maybe follow one or two reviewers at a time. You know, just to go back a step there, you mentioned there's lots of reviewers out there. Everybody's reviewing differently the purpose of a reviewer let's not forget it is to promote and sell the wine they're reviewing so i think you've got to have that in the back of your mind every review is is different you can see reviewers review the same wine very very differently so it's personal preference just like us as consumers if you're following a reviewer there's, there's
0: a few differences in there though. one at
1: a time because you've really got to get to understand their palate
0: yeah, but yep, go, going going back a few steps, there's um, different types of the reviews are there to sell wine or with the rise of Vivino as a review system, it's just for someone to give their opinion. I was reading through some reviews on re- Vivino today and the re- wine I was looking at was reviewed, I think, eight times and I think the first four people quite clearly didn't understand the style of the wine or had already made up their mind to like it before they drank it. Because the review that was posted was quite narrow. Someone just said, not, not for us three points out of five. I was like, well, is that indicative well, of a in good life. wine? Is that indicative of what, why follow? So you've got to scroll through, I- even though a lot of people are using Vivino these days as a, Mass bulk sorting sort of wine system. It's still skewed by the knowledge or understanding or appreciation of the wines that the people are reviewing.
1: I think therein lies the delineation when we talk about reviewers as opposed to a review. If you're consulting Vivino, you're going to get a review. You're not going to get a professional hmm. journalist wine taster slash wine scribe reviewing your wine yeah but you told me earlier you don't like that kind of stuff you were saying oh i don't
0: want the those ports of uh tasting of acid and characters and mockers and things you wanted the expressive sort of style and the more fun thing to read
1: oh i think if i'm going to get a summation of what's in the bottle i am that's what i need that's what i'm looking for so i'm going to follow those journalists you know Matthew Jukes in the UK is a great example. Who's um, another example here. Um, Mike Benny is another example here in Australia that have a light-hearted approach to what they're scribing rather than a very serious um, indication of what's in the bottle.
0: And, but you're you still both entertaining get,
1: and informative, you still which I'm sure they
0: have the. Yeah, st- you're still, that's interesting to you, the way they, they write in well, that style. But there'll be other people who like the other way that reviewers write. The, the thing that gets me about reviewers at the moment is obviously the big shift with the James Halliday book and the way it used to be a review oh, by yes. James Halliday, and he used to uh, con- compare the wine quality as a region to a style and how it has evolved over time. So he would be comparing the nineteen uh eighties Shirazes from the Brossa with the two thousands Shirazes from the Brossa. And that's why he you were seeing scores constantly going up in the high ninety points because he was saying that wine making has come so far, it's got to such a high standard, it is all highly rated wine then there's there are degrees of differences rather than uh, big truckloads of differences between wines but there's a new tasting panel involved now and Halliday, i think no longer tastes anything officially Um, and it's moved into having people in theory specialize in a section but who are bringing their own personal preferences to it and changing the way they score the wines and i've even heard and i'm not going to name names but i've even heard that some reviewers review areas and they don't even like wines from that area so they're going in there with a a pre-existing let's use a absurd example but say I don't like Hunter Semion but I'm in charge of reviewing Hunter Semion <coughs> on behalf of the James Halliday Guide. I prefer Semion to be from France. That's the only Semion I will ever drink. But I have to review this Australian stuff that I don't think is as good. And I will compare it to the French version and give reviews on Hunter Semion based on that quality. Is that an indication of the world widening in terms of palate and taste and style and wine education, or is that a reviewer taking too much personal approach?
1: Oh, I think it's a little bit of colon A and colon B. I, I think take it's a an stand, Campbell. One or world. the other. Which is it? I think, I think it's the, it's the diversification of palates and different opinions coming in. And but it's also people banging their own drum, and reviewers, I think if they haven't got a professional opinion, they can't really review. So the stance, to use the analogy of of Simeon and and French Simeon, I think they've got to have something like that. They've got to also be able to separate themselves for it. Just as just as like myself as a wine judge, if you go to you know, Royal Melbourne and you get the Riesling bracket, you know, there's going to be Rieslings from Victoria. There's going to be Rieslings from the Barossa. There's going to be Rieslings from Tasmania. Like, although I've never drunk a Barossa Riesling.
0: Eden Valley is within the Barossa, isn't it?
1: Eden Valley. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, it is. Um, (laughs) But you, you really, you have to put your own bias aside. Um, if you want to be professional about
0: it. Ah, but then we go back to the question of if you're putting your own bias aside, shouldn't you have a bias? Just like, for example, Robert Parker, who only likes one-dimensional type of wines and has often worn his heart on the sleeve saying that those are the wines that he likes and he reviews to that style. And people follow him because, in theory, they also like that style and therefore that bias helps attract people to his um, scribes and and following the wines that he likes. And it also has resulted in a bias in winemaking to appease him because he has such a big sway. Is a bias in being a reviewer a good thing in terms of having people follow the points accurately because they agree with that style?
1: And therein lies the question there there lies the answer to the question you have to find a reviewer that you enjoy and follow them you can't follow the many and varied reviewers you have to find whether it be you know suckling or robert parker because robert parker is producing those fruit forward big styles so you'll follow him you you won't follow something like someone like chances robinson who's reviewing much more stylistic wines yes You'll follow, you might follow Mike Benny because he's re- reviewing diversely and in somewhat comical fashion. I think you've got to choose your reviewer. You can't follow them all. You've seen it yourself. Halliday's a great example. You know, I've worked in retail. You've worked in retail. People come in after that guy's release and go, oh, I'll have a dozen of this, two dozen of that, some of this. And i might. like, you, you either know James or you've, drunk a lot of wine with James, because you're buying wines based purely on his palate, even though by 99%, it's going to be, your palate's going to be very different to his, because he drinks 99% of the time, and you drink 9% of the time, comparatively, so it's about finding a reviewer, not a review, but a reviewer that you can follow, and follow their campaigns, and. Ability to learn what their palates like. Do I like them? No, not always. You know, I, I, I like making my own, professionally trained opinion. But if they're entertaining and informative, a review can be helpful.
0: I think we could talk more about this topic. We could talk also about how reviewers actually the score system. Ninety nine points. Luca Moroni, ninety nine points. Oh. Sam Kim 96 <laughs> points to 94 yeah. points. We could we could talk about the the uh, sudden, uh, the sudden uh, shift in holiday uh, scores from wines that were getting 94s to now getting 83s. The point system Point system
1: is definitely a topic for another day. Let's let's write that down. If we, if, <laughs> if, if we don't get a question on that, write it down for topics for another day. But do I, Was there a question, and you can get in touch with us as well here at Luke's Talk Wine, but what, we had a question.
0: Yes, well, I had a question, and um, we haven't had uh, officially uh, an email in yet because we haven't really told anyone about this podcast, so it's a bit hard. We've just been setting it up, getting it going, but I did have a, a question about wine. Uh, Jackie, who I matched with on Bumble, she asked uh, me, but I'll extend it to you, Uh, What are some of your favourite wines? Speaking of getting to know the reviewer and the people that you're following, Luke Campbell, what are some of your favourite wines?
1: Oh, gee, put me on the spot. No, Um, I I
0: told you about this question yesterday. No, it wasn't the day. I didn't tell you yesterday. Gee. That's not true. I told you like a week ago, so you've probably forgotten.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um... Gee, one of the one of the most cracking sparklings going around at the moment is the Ninth Island Tasmanian sparkling. It's un, under twenty five bucks, and it's a it's a rose. That is utterly delicious if you drink a bit of bubbles coming into the summer season.
0: How is you know, how s- is sparkling Semeon wine made? The first from, thing, you know, out of your
1: mouth. Oh well, gee, if yeah, if I, I do love the Tyrrells Jono's Semion, which is comes off hundred year old vines out of the Hunter. It's all that cut grass and. Lemongrass and honey, zesty acidity, long on the palate. Well, that would be probably my second wine, Luke. But uh,
0: you into the spark? Was I'm, I'm rose, rose at the minute. But,
1: um, yeah, well, Pinot Noir. So you know, highly complex, highly delicious.
0: Is that your go-to every day of the week? Though, would you? If if I asked you this in six months' time, would you still be putting a, a sparkling as one of your favourite style of wine?
1: Oh... Uh, my, my go to every day of the week would have to be a glass of on. It's, <laughs> it's uncomplicated. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's it's citrusy. As I mentioned, it's all those things before, you know, cut grass, lemongrass. I don't have to think about it. It's versatile. It goes with food. Yeah, absolutely outstanding. Samyon would have to be the go. What about yourself? What are you going to?
0: Look, uh, I'm I'm trying to recall what my answer to Jackie on Bumble was, Um, and I think it was uh, aged, uh, no, not aged, uh, vintage champagne. Uh, I almost would never turn a glass back of that. That does sound like a Noxie, like a, who would? But non-vintage champagne, I can take or leave. There's plenty enough of that in Australia in in style that I'm happy to have Australian sparkling over some non-vintage stuff vintage champagne gosh it's it's hard to mm-hmm. beat also uh oh, aged brochure shiraz i think the the young stuff i i'm finding increasingly hard to drink uh, but if you find a good aged yep. brochure shiraz th- th- there's just a I, I, there's a I. whenever i think of aged brochure shiraz i think of the word brown i think of there's the, there's the brown hue on the on the glass but there's just this there's a brownness in the palette to me and I can't it's in this it's, there would be a good word for it maybe it's umami maybe it's an aged character I don't really know the leather and if I can add a third style favorite stuff type of wine Tempanillo in all of its forms is something that's so versatile for making. You could use it in sparkling red and make something like that. You can get aged, rich, robust um, Cranthas and Grand reserves. You can make a, a young, fresh, vibrant Joven. It's even used with Triga National and other grape varietals in making port. Such a fun grape varietal with so many possibilities. And that's only the tip of the iceberg. but Grunov well, Outliner. Sp- Let's get into some of Outliner when you've got a chance of outliner and some Goza pork. Underrated. Get in.
1: Oh yeah, Ugh, making me hungry. <laughs> what about Grenache? Grenache is back. We don't drink enough Grenache.
0: You know what? Grenache is starting oh, to feel um, like Grenache is starting to feel like reasoning. It's the thing that everybody in the wine industry keeps saying. Oh, that's going to make a That's going to make a, people are going to get into this one day. It's, it's gonna, they never do. Grenache is fantastic, but it's such oh, a geez. slow turn to get people to drink it. Is that
1: because people got put off? because because light like Tempranillo and Tauriga National and some of these other port varieties is that because it just all went into fortified for a long, long time, and now it's starting to make its own way as a as a table wine, and people are still a bit scarred. Is that, is that why, or just people still don't understand those wines of the Rhone Valley in Southern France, or or or, or Can people get into contemporary Grenache,
0: Luke? It is a, it's just education and a risk, I think. It it, is one of those things, me, many, many years of pouring Tempranillo um, to people. The hardest thing to get about selling Tempranillo for me was to get people to taste it. Once they did, they'd more often than not buy it. But it's getting that There's first no sip, back. getting that oh well people can turn back. They can but it's once once they you just need to have that ability to open the door and and you know it's uh, I read when I did a little tour of Scotland, I was in Bell's uh riskies, famous risky distillery. There was a history of Bell's Riskies there and I read on a board there This is going back 100 or so years when Bells were looking to first export and one of the family members came out to Australia and they described Australian culture as being more brand-driven than anywhere else they had encountered in the world, less likely to take a risk and more brand-driven. And I thought about that and I thought about how trenched and sewn on people are to process Shiraz or... S- very specific yeah. w- wine styles and, and, and my troubles at the time of getting people to just to taste some Tempranillo and give it a go I just thought, it really is like, if you're going to plant a vineyard and not plant Shiraz I know a guy who planted vineyard in um, Masson and Ranges extensively to Cabernet and Shiraz and when he came in and t- it was a venue on and when he came in with his wines I looked at him and said why and he said well that's what people drink and I was like yeah but you're in the and Rangers. you didn't plant any Pinot and this was at the time yeah, when Pinot you wasn't plant some as some cool climate varieties yeah it, this is just at a time when people are like no you, you what's what's popular that's what you, people drink anyway there's a rant for you <laughs> <laughs> fair a bump
1: for, play on but um well, that's, that's great. So, so you go. You'd never turn a glass of vintage champagne down. You'd love some Central Victorian reds, oh, and you yeah. would like some aged Barossa Shiraz. That would be your go-to.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, uh, aged Barossa yep. Shiraz, uh, aged Clare Valley Shiraz. If we, oh, he's a Ooh, aged you know.
1: Clare. And so, what was and what was uh, Jackie? What was Jackie on Bumble's response? Did you get a response?
0: I did actually. I didn't think that you were going to ask me that question, so I didn't memorize it. Um, I can't. I think. Well, actually, that's all right. I Hold remember. on to that.
1: We might revisit that in next week.
0: I remember yes. she did floor yes, me with uh, including uh, Beaujolais in there because that's such a niche thing because other people in the past have said things like, um, oh, I love a Chardonnay or something like that. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, but there's a lot of Chardonnay. What type of Chardonnay? Well, she went Beaujolais. I thought, yes. oh, that's a topic.
1: Well, Gamay, Gamay is—it's uh, very popular now. It's very, very chic. <laughs> It's—I um, spoke, I spoke. To, I spoke to, talking of Hunter, I spoke to a Hunter producer who is planting it. So, would you believe it? Um, and I don't know. you know, that
0: the climate?
1: That, that, the, that old—is
0: there? Is it suitable? Well, do
1: ordinarily, you think? like if you think about Beaujolais, south of Burgundy. Well, yeah, it likes a heavier soil, like slightly heavier than. Uh, <laughs> It likes a heavier soil, but it generally likes a coolish climate. But it does like a little bit of humidity as well. And so although the the Hunter's not cool, this guy's fairly high up, um, you know, and he's got thick, heavy clay over limestone soil. So it might go all right, but uh, I think it's well worth trying. There's a fair bit of Gamay. Well, I say a fair bit. There's more Gamay than you'd think being produced in Australia right now. And it's accessible. It's lower in alcohol. It's lighter in tannins. It's a little bit more fun, um, and people can get into it. So it's more accessible.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm happy to. I'm happy Gamma, to give Gamay a go. Give Gamay a go. That's a, a slogan.
1: <laughs> we need that on a, We need it on a t-shirt. Mm. Give Gamay a go. Hey, what, what, are, what are, you are you drinking? What are You're you drinking? drinking? What?
0: what are you drinking? Campbell. <laughs>
1: What am I drinking? Yeah, mate. Um, Mate, with the turn of the season, I've um, I've reached for a rosé, that kind of, you know, pale, orange, tinge of pink rosé, just lip-smacking, bursting with flavour, watermelon juice. You know, like um, it's not even French rosé, actually. It's, um, what is it here? It's um, the 22 Halo rosé all the way from that famous area of riverland in south australia actually
0: Oh, you me! just wait, wait, this this change in tep-
1: change in temperature the occasional moment calls for something other than a red and it's rosé this rosé is mataro aglianico it's even got a splash of white and a bit of Vermentino. so it's um just yeah it's just as i said lip-smacking watermelon juice it's just delicious uncomplicated and just you know 22 22 degrees halo for 22 bucks it's a dead set bargain
0: <laughs> it's
1: got <laughs> it's that kind of. Mataro, use in the edge. other, like it.
0: the other Rhone grape. We've gone all around the Rhone today. Um I am drinking. I am no about Nets. to do a uh, presentation, actually, on uh, Gruner Veltliner. Is there anything you want me to throw in the presentation today? Just to just to just to work staff. I'm going to tell them all about Gruner as an educational piece. What, what, what well, would you, you, you chuck in the. Well,
1: mix? you'd have to. You'd have to be talking. Oh, definitely. It's it's comparison to Chardonnay, really. Uh, Gruner
0: and, and the, chardonnay the
1: historical reference. How's, yes. How's how's this? Yeah. Well, look reference. look up the tasting.
0: I the, historic... it
1: ages like Chardonnay. Yeah. And historically, Jancis yeah. Robin did a did a tasting where the Gruner's outbeat Burgundy, um, particularly some of Bellini Montrachet. So. That was back a while now. But also, you know, just just utterly green wine. Like, it often throws up this kind of green tinge. I always mix it up with Alvarino from Spain, like in a blind lineup. I I, I often think, all right, that's Alvarino. All right, Alvarino. No, Grunewelt-Lina. And same. Same the other way too. Oh, this is Grunewelt-Lina. No, Alvarino. I always mix up the two. It's... Interchangeable, but yeah, you know, green wine—it's delicious. You're right; more people should be drinking it. It's often cheaper. But people think it's closer to reasoning. Oh, I would say it's closer to Chardonnay. It, it certainly ages like Chardonnay.
0: Well, I hadn't thought of the Chardonnay um, method to it. I could, I could, I can slightly see that. I did think of reasoning because of the palate. Um, I, I did a little bit of research, and historically, yeah, the there's, there's, a, there's a connection to, um, in the genealogy of it, to Sauvignon Blanc. Um but yep. to Chardonnay to have it aged and then beat the wines because you wouldn't traditionally oak a Grunewald of outliner. But you're looking at white burgundies which would be traditionally. No, but oaked. I mean
1: if you look but but if you look at if you look at Chablis and some of those even some of the wines from Macon which don't have a great deal of oak. Yeah. Um you know they they, they can throw up that but, yeah, Gruner, as it ages, it fills out and gets that kind of waxy, cashewy, nutty note that Chardonnay can sometimes try.
0: Beautiful. I'm going to throw that. I will but throw you, that if you had some
1: wines from the Ma- Yeah, if you had some wines from the Macon or, you know, Vire Clessé or um, I can't think of any of those, Southern Appalachians, but a couple of those, don't use a lot of oak, but do use it. old oak, They would look very Gruner current vintage zesty cool. acid long on the palate hints of nut and meal definitely
0: cool well I'm, anyway I'm I'll, gonna... leave, I'll leave
1: that little tidbit for you
0: no that's good i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna carry that on with me well i've gotta i have got to go off and um, prepare for that but uh thanks for your time i'm i'm, I'm gonna give a, a shout out at the end to nick brown because if you listen to the music at the start of this uh he composed that and Um, Maybe we'll have a prize, if anybody can guess, because we talked in episode one about music and wine. The music at the start of this podcast is inspired specifically by a wine, wine that we might have even mentioned in today's podcast. That might be a challenge for um, listeners. But thanks for your time. Thanks, Nick Brown. Thank you very much, Luke Campbell. I'll catch you around.
1: Thank you, Luke Morris. Vinified is your wine concierge. We can present simple tastings. We can grant you access to some great winemakers and wineries. We do a host of events, a lot of masterclasses throughout the year, and we also run our famous advanced wine course. And you can find these events at www.vinified.com.au and we would welcome you to the fold.